Spicy, Ryany, and Ursy letters. Oh my. You're listening to the Love Thy Neighbor podcast, your home for discussion and analysis of the theology, ethics, and political philosophy of Ryan Goldfinger. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Love Thy Niebuhr podcast, the only podcast dedicated to the theology, ethics, and political philosophy of Reinhold Niebuhr. So dedicated, we go where no other podcasts go. We peer into the guy's soul, into his love life. I dare you to do that, Bartians. I dare you. (laughs) I know there's a Bart podcast out there somewhere. Go ahead, read his love letters. And you won't, will you? And we all know why. Well, we're not shy here on the Love Thy Neighbor podcast because these letters are adorbs. And we're going to hit the highlights for this very special Valentine's Day episode. I'm Cliff Bailey, and I'm joined as always by co-host Zach Narrison. And joining us today, it's a great pleasure, Miss Jen Treeler. Jen studied political science and philosophy at Campbell University. She lives and works in the firestorm that is local politics. She's a catechist teaching and ministering in her local parish. And uh, and her day job, she works as a high-risk insurance broker, which is extremely interesting. We'll have to get to at some point. Uh, wears many hats. Jen Treeler, what a pleasure. Welcome. Hi, Niebuhr fans. Maximum Niebuhr. Sidebar, by the way, I totally forgot to ask you this question, Jen. What got, like, so you exist in uh, uh, kind of teaching catechisms, and the local politics world, economics, you're kind of all over the place. What brought you to theology for one? I guess it is within the um, catechism, like teaching that stuff, but theology and then kind of bringing theology and politics together and Niebuhr, like what got you into this world? Um, I knew as a teenager that I was called to be a catechist and not anything else but just a catechist. I I loved my catechism program and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I learned a lot from it and you know I, I put some of that in my bio that I wrote for y'all that it was expected of us that when we went to college that we would come back and do presentations because uh, like the last two years of our catechesis program was really just presentations from other Catholics on what it meant to live an ethical life and be in the church and what it meant to different people. Uh, so what I liked about that is that they encouraged us to ask questions. They didn't act like we weren't questioning things. They just totally ran with it and let us question stuff and question people and keep asking questions and work it out. As far as what got me into theology, honestly, I took a philosophy course and I loved it. I went to a Southern Baptist university as as a Catholic and how was that experience? <laughs> uh, it, it, it was interesting. Um, uh, I, ha- I had to rein in the divinity students and mm. I w- was taking church history classes and, oh. and I loved it. And I, I was usually the top student in the class. And so, you know, my lovely Professor Dr. Kieser, he just loved tweaking the divinity students about how this Catholic woman was just wiping the floor with them. I love it. And 
you know, and eventually he just told them, he was like, guys, if I were you, I, I, I'd try to study with Jen because, you know, she's doing well and you're not, <laughs> um, which is ultimately how I found, found Niebuhr. I told them, all right, I'll, I'll, as a fellow Christian, I will study with you, <laughs> do the spiritual work of mercy. And, uh, but you, you don't get to make uh, digs at my faith. You yeah. know, I'm not here for that. We're here for church history. Anyhow, so we just decided that we liked each other and they became really good friends of mine. And so one day they uh, they all show up for study group and they just look morose. Mm -hmm. I'm like, guys, what's wrong? And so this one guy, Todd, he, he just looks at me and he's just goodness personified. And he goes, oh, Jen, they have us reading Niebuhr. <gasps> but but we loved Christ and culture. And they all go, not that Niebuhr. I'm like, oh, there's another one? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like guys we really like christ and culture it's not that neighbor jen this he's a cynic he's a tame cynic i'm like oh okay <laughs> so you know i grab the book and i i read that amazing first sentence about you know it's a guy like me doing preaching to these good people and, and i look at him like oh come on you know so honest yeah you, you know you don't think you're ever going to feel that way standing in a pulpit right you know unworthy to preach to the people before you and they're like, Jen, I just don't think he knows the joy of the Lord. <laughs> and, and you know, meanwhile, I'm like thumbing through it and, and I'm, you know, I'm finding, you know, all these slams on on Catholicism and clericalism oh, wow. yeah. and on evangelism. So I'm reading them aloud. I'm just. Well, I, I, I should say also like or point out, like I know from my past Protestant history classes, they are not too friendly on on Catholicism. Mm -mm. um they're kind of treated as the big bad of mm -hmm. uh of our history how did like it's it's interesting that you love that class so much yeah it's my heritage you know yeah i just see it all as my spiritual heritage and so i i just love studying it and the good the bad the ugly all of it yeah all of it yeah all in. may i kiss you my darling now, for our audience on this very special Valentine's Day episode, we will be diving into those spicy letters between Reinhold and Ursula. And Jen has taken time, a lot of time, to curate these letters for us uh, into a document in a way that helps us understand a little bit more on a personal level about your boy, Reinhold Niebuhr, and even his wife. Uh, is this cringy, you guys? I don't know. Did you guys feel a little weird reading these? Yeah, no. I definitely felt a little cringe. A little cringe. What do you think, Jen? I didn't think it was cringe, uh, you know, because I know Ursula put them together and she put them together for a purpose. That's true. And, you know, I pointed this out on Twitter, but she chose this picture of our boy. Randy, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and she was all about defending his legacy and um, putting this out there. What a ethical person he was and what an awesome guy he was. So... I, I'm happy to read whatever Ursula was willing to put out about our boy, Ronnie. Yeah. Oh, Ronnie. And the picture that you're talking about, we'll post it on Twitter again, but he is a heartthrob in that picture. He, he is, is. He's looking good. And she she went through the old photographs to find that one. One of, one of the better looking bald guys I've, I've seen before, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you can't. Dude. Zach. <laughs> You I don't know that. if we should shame bald guys on here. No, I'm just saying, dude, like, you know, that's sometimes... He's very uh, good looking for a bald guy. Well, sometimes that's a point of insecurity. And look at this guy, dude. He's out here smoldering. 
He is. He's smoldering. All right. Whatever that means. Uh, I, I'll i be honest. I did feel a little weird because I was, and this is Ursula's choice, absolutely, to include these. I wonder, like, what his thoughts would be in, in making these known, I guess, but I have no idea. Uh, he might be totally fine with it. I think that there were some letters that were burned, weren't they? Oh, Niebuhr always burned. Didn't he always burn, like, his own private collection of letters? I thought he did, maybe. I, I don't know. know. I'm going to have to look into that. Uh, Helen Gaston said something about that. Uh, okay. So so I say we stick to the excerpts. This is for our audience. We're going to be sticking to these excerpts that Jen curated for us. And uh, wherever you all think more context is needed, uh, just, just speak up. Um, this all comes from Ursula's book, Remembering Reinhold Niebuhr, as Jen said. And there are a lot of different uh, uh, recipients Reinhold writes to in this book. Um, I remember when I was doing my research, he he wrote a few back and forth with Lewis Mumford, um, and uh, and I I think that those were in this one. But uh, but we are just going to be focusing on the Reinhold Ursula exchanges uh, in honor of Saint Valentine. So Jen, why don't you get us started? Uh, what did you glean from this introduction that Ursula writes? Well, Ursula is a really smart cookie in her own right. She graduated first in her class at Oxford in theology and history, and they nominated her for the fellowship at Union, and Union said, no, no women. And then uh, Oxford Which, was like, unbelievable. Like, yeah, that's crazy that happened. Right. Anyway, yeah. Then anyhow, uh, Oxford pushed it and uh, they finally relented and accepted her. And then the other thing of note is that she had to write a master's thesis and the guys didn't. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was the fellow from Germany uh, in 1930 at the same time that Ursula was a fellow from England. And he did not have to write a master's. That am, is lame. Am I correct in noting that they that they were trying to hook her up with Bonhoeffer before they had before yeah. before? Her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, it's hilarious because uh, we all know how much she added to Niebuhr's uh, academic life. Mm -hmm. But to think that she might have added to Bonhoeffer's instead and Bonhoeffer uh, might have benefited even more had that relationship gone the other way. And Niebuhr might have, might not have made many books after Moral Man and Moral Society. So anyway. She said that he was too, too Teutonic and too Prussian for her. <laughs> That's funny. What a funny criticism that you do. Oh, I know. Today. Makes sense. Hilarious. <laughs> well, oh, and yeah. their, their meeting is pretty humorous too. The, the you know he's pretty much just the guy's just always doing something. You know what I mean? Like to like look down at his watch. All right, see ya. <laughs> uh, she also like thought about because she was being forced to write the dissertation and all that type of stuff. She thought about. She was so angry. She thought about leaving. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I get it. Well, yeah, and then at their first meeting, he basically just info dumped on her. Oh, did he really? Okay, yeah, that's amazing. That's so Reinhold. Interesting. Yeah, like she, she, you know, isn't it, doesn't it go like he he walks up or no, there, she's talking to one of her uh, professors and he's like, hey, I want to introduce you to somebody and in walks Reinhold Lieber and uh, he looks, you know, but then it dumps on her about the New Republic for about, you know, a little bit and then looks down at his watch and says, well, I'd love to talk to you more. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> and then specifically she mentions that he he didn't he didn't go down the stairs one by one he goes he went downstairs two two to three at a time <laughs> that's amazing mm -hmm. what 
a great look into the dude. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. Okay, so the first uh, quote I think we should uh, look at is the the one found from pages 32 to 33. And uh, Zach, if you could read this in your deep Niebuhr voice, that would be great. What? Uh, the one uh, from the one that she has in the notes here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I could express myself properly, I could tell you how much my whole life has been changed by the fact and thought of your love and the idea of a partnership between us through the years. It will be glorious, even though I am afraid my thoughtfulness, I mean, thoughtlessness. My thoughtlessness will give you more than one moment of misery. But I'll try to cultivate the graces of a decent, domesticated man, a male. Yours in eternal love, Rhyney. Never, he's like super self-conscious of <laughs> his uh, backwardness, I guess. He's a little more insecure than I. I, I think that's one of the things I, I learned from reading the excerpts that she uh, pointed out to us. I think he's a little more insecure than I thought he was. What did you take from this, Jen? Well, it, it reminded me of Lee's uh, from a notebook of a tame cynic uh just the way the the deep introspection that yeah. he has for himself and honestly i think he's just afraid of losing her that he he sees what an amazing person she is and he just wants a life with her and he's afraid to lose her he says it will be glorious even though i'm afraid my thought my thoughtlessness will give you more than one moment of misery oh my gosh the guy yeah. He he oscillated between this really um, kind of dark uh, self criticism, but also like he goes to the extreme of like overly confidence uh, from the pulpit and in his writing. It's really funny to see that uh, that you know self critical side of him in this. You also highlighted in here, Jen, that um, you can't help but notice the term partnership that Niebuhr yes. uses and describe. What what do you like about that? Well, that he sees her as an intellectual partner. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I, you know, she dealt with so much sexism to get to where she was. And he clearly sees her as worthy of being there at Union and as a smart person in her own right and somebody that earned her place there. And that probably means the world to Ursula. I mean, exactly. yeah. yeah. And, I, and I guess a little bit of context would be that, you know, this is from a letter from 8931. So this is pretty pretty early yeah uh, in that partnership yeah this is when they were engaged they didn't get married until december of 31 so the next uh the next uh important quote here is um i'll go ahead and read it i do uh, this is from um 10 14 october 14th 1931 he uh, Niebuhr says i do appreciate your lack of insistence on security most particularly I'm really getting afraid of this job to teach ethics in such a place of secure vantage as this in a distressed world is really beginning to worry me. So perhaps in a couple of years, we will venture out. I am really beginning to think this place won't be able to stand the kind of teaching that this era needs. And why should one demand the right to criticize everything in a system which gives one such ease? I'd rather win my own freedom than have the feeling that Dr. Coffin is preserving a free pulpit for me and paying the price while I do nothing but spout. Well, I find it very relatable. I, I you know, it's one of the things that I like about Niebuhr is that I, uh, 
every time I read them, I'm like, oh man, that, that is, I've, I've been there in my own life. You know what I mean? And, in like, especially in pastoral ministry, it's one of those things where it's like, oof, what's you know? there? What do you mean? Well, just like the, the specifically for me, it's this line that where he says, uh, I'm really beginning to wonder, uh, really beginning to think that this place won't be able to stand the kind of teaching that this era needs. Mm -hmm. Um, but also being conflicted and saying, you know, why why should one demand the right to criticize everything in a system which gives one such ease? Um, you know, it, being a pastor, there's definitely like periods of time and even 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 the insecurity about your job, I guess you could say, in a sense that like, should I should I am I going to be a pastor forever? You know, what I mean? or am I going to be you know teaching in this way forever? And I, I think I relate to him in that sense, which I'm always kind of questioning that. You know what I mean? Um, not that I plan to leave anytime soon, but I definitely have those moments of like, man, it, is this is this what I'm going to be doing? You know, am I going to be questioning the system? Am I going to be uh, uh, doing this? You know, um, so I find that really relatable. I find that it's one of those things that I kind of. You have like to a make a lot of judgment calls between what you yeah. go after and what you don't. And I see this in the Apostle Paul, actually. I, I don't think that Paul was a fan of slavery at all. Um, and we see that in Philemon. He wants uh, he wants him to be released. Uh, uh, Onesimus, is that his name? He wants yeah. him to be released, um, but he's kind of working within the system to get him released. And and I find that relatable in a lot of ways because we can't just come in and just completely pull the rug out from underneath the systems we're operating in. But at the same time, we have to critique it somehow. And just that, I don't know, that oscillation between the two is is really difficult to find a balance because I worry in this time that the same exact thing that Niebuhr's worrying about, that what needs to be taught right now is so much more radical than yeah. uh, than what we can actually do. Um, that's that's worrying. What do you think? And Jen, you actually said, uh, here's that uneasy conscience. What What do you mean by that? Again, this reminded me of Leaves from uh, a notebook of a tame cynic where he goes through like criticizing himself, criticizing other pastors, um, mm -hmm. you know, and then talking about, you know, how easy it is to be a, a revival preacher hmm. uh, because you get to go in and then you get to leave. Oh, and, right. Yeah. And that uh, it's harder to preach to people that you love and care about. Uh, and, you know, we're just watching what you say. So it's kind of like the difference between a, a parent and a grandparent a little bit. A grandparent mm -hmm. can come in and spoil the kids and do whatever they want. And then they always get to leave, uh, leave, yeah. the, leave the kids all sugared up and, you know, uh, scared or, from the horror movie they watched or whatever. And the parents actually, because they're there every day, they have to love these these kids. Um, well, it's kind of yeah, more it's of a weird to think. You know, because you, you don't get everything out of him, but you you could definitely get out of this that he's feeling restrained by his institution, and it, it makes me wonder like what exactly is he feeling restrained about? You know what I mean? And what what did we not hear from him that we could have heard from him? You know, was he speaking his mind all the time, or was because he he definitely expresses here and and leaves like a lot of restraint um, mm -hmm. from his more radical positions. But yet he's pretty forceful in the way that he approaches things. So it makes me wonder what, what it is he's concealing or restraining. Well, I, I think we could probably say his socialism, like his kind of more radical socialism is probably part of it. But he like, but that push and pull is what defines Niebuhr of. So what we're seeing here is really that internal feeling that manifests on the page that he writes, because you know, he he ends up coming up with a kind of system or dialectic of 
of creating the tension that he always feels. And right here, we're just seeing kind of the seeds of it, you know, of, of kind of these doubts and, and, uh, and I, I feel compelled to do so much, but I can't. And, you know, that push and pull is what create. And I think it's an interpretation of Christian ethics. He um, compares it to uh, the bow, the string on a bow that like the more tension that you create there, the the farther that the arrow can fling and so i think he ends up finding a lot of energy in this space and being able to create the tensions necessary to create meaningful change i i don't know if uh jen you're in like local politics and stuff like that i don't know if you've ever feel this kind of push and pull of a candidate maybe needing to say something but there's no oh, way yeah. they could be elected if they're if they said that you know <laughs> Oh yeah, the candidates always feel that. So that's part of what I do is- uh, You rein them in. Well, no, no, I'll say the things that they can't say on oh, social media. Oh, interesting, okay. So that uh, it's being said and it's out there, but they're not the ones saying it. Huh, so you know all, you know all about this conflict. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I love the way around this though with Jed Bartlett on West Wing where he's, um, he he knows that the camera's still on, but he acts like he doesn't know, and he just says whatever he wants. And then later on, he apologizes about the harsh things that he said about his opponent. He didn't realize the camera was on. <laughs> Meanwhile, it makes it makes the opponent look like an idiot, uh, and he comes off scot free because it was a mistake. Okay, ah, uh, let's see here. 11 1931. Okay, so we're still really early. This is just a month later. If that and Niebuhr says, take it, Zach. Um, well, there's two two quotes that are pulled out here. Um, after mailing my two letters to you, I want to add another one. I just think and think about you all day. Oh. I am so grateful for your love. This is getting juicy. Yeah, which is willing to trust me so much. Then I get creepy all over thinking of how your family and friends will pity you for marrying an American who has no proper sense of married life and is still tied to his mother's apron strings. Now, and then the next quote is, um, now I am going to have some dinner and go back to work on my courses. I finished the introduction to Hugh's book and tonight will devote myself to a few editorials, Chinese ethics, Schweitzer's mysticism of the Apostle Paul. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. In this way, I mix things up and never get to the bottom of anything. Yours forever, Reinhold. I love the little things here about uh, Schweitzer, because um, you always wonder, like, what, who in biblical studies he's reading at this time. Um, but, man, he lays it on thick in that first one, man. Ooh, had, this is one of those points where I'm like, should I be reading this? Because this is... Well, yeah, you know, there's another one where he, where he says, you know, I can't, I can't wait for us to show our affection to each other in other ways. <laughs> Won't that be nice? We'll, we'll, um, we'll come to that when we get to it, bro. That's These were actually the last two paragraphs uh, of the letter. He, you know, I did, there wasn't anything in between them. You know, he, he went straight okay. from, you know, I get creepy all over. <laughs> to okay i'm gonna go have some dinner and you know work on my courses and then do this this and this and this it's like chinese ethics apostle paul editorials and it's like oh my god <laughs> he was just all over the place well i love how he says in this way i mix things up and never get to the bottom of anything and that sounds like sounds like neighbor yeah next letter 
we have one from Ursula to Reinhold now. Ooh. And Jen, if you would like to do the honors of reading for Ursula, you can make it as dramatic as you like. If I were a mother, I would consider it an insult to my love for others to consider anything as a beloved child's happy marriage as tragic. Huh. To call a step which involves a son's fulfillment as a man and as a citizen tragic for the mother who bore him is surely to equate mother love with mere animal maternal possessive instinct. Darling, I am not being unsympathetic with your mother's problem here. I do feel what I say very strongly. And I am a woman, and I hope to be a mother. I know I shall never feel anything tragic which comes to me apropos of you or of any children I'm, I might bear, unless it involves their unhappiness or their moral failure. If I were a bad woman who seduced you or ruined your career, then I feel your marriage to me might be as tragic as death, for it might mean the ruin of a good man. But I just do not see it. What's the context here? I mean, something going on with Ryanie's mom. You know, I, I've been researching that and researching that. And I, I had wrote to Zach and I said, one of the things that I noticed about this is that when they talk about anybody else, you know, it's first name, last name, but with, with his mother, she always refers to him as Mrs. Niebuhr, not Lydia. Oh, wow. Not your mother, Mrs. Niebuhr. Ooh. I would only do that if like I really didn't like the person. Right. Yeah. Very de uh, deep personalized. Yeah. Yes. Excessively well, formal. And he clearly he clearly had an attachment to his mom that was a little stronger yeah. than the average person. Maybe it's because his dad died, but mm -hmm. I, I, I had to take care of her. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, he he was living with her um, in New York from what I've read. Oh, uh, and that's part of what Ursula was objecting to. I, that's one of the things I, I was trying to find out. So I went and got got this, the yeah. um, Oxford handbook, hoping it would be in there, but it wasn't. Like, I, I just, I've been researching and researching, trying to find out where did Lydia go after they got married? Yeah. So I don't know if she lived with them or. Listeners yeah. out there, if you know, let us know. Yeah. What happened to Lydia, Mrs. Mrs. Niebuhr? And so. This first line, if I were a mother, if I were a mother, I would consider it an insult to my love uh, for others to consider anything as as a beloved child's happy marriage as tragic. What's the implication here? That Lydia said marrying Ursula would be tragic as death. Yikes. She did not yeah. mince words. I can see Ursula was not an issue with this. Um, the mom might have been... Uh, little bit of the issue. Yeah, I feel bad for Riney needing to kind of negotiate these uh these uh this issue um mm -hmm. between uh blood and bride, I guess. It's well, from what I read about his Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Zach. Oh, I was just say it's pretty wild they're they're talking about it cutting off their engagement. It's like, geez, man, that's whew. Well, his father Gustav, you know, he didn't want his daughter Holda to go to college and just expected her to become a wife and so i think Riney was just expecting that he had to take care of his mother and meanwhile ursula it sounds like is like whoa what's going on here what did i marry into what am i about to marry into yeah okay so you include here jen a note from the christian century there's a reference in this article to an interview with elizabeth sifton about how her father reinhold was idealistic about family life and agape love and her mother countered that justice is an issue in family life it's not all about love what do we take from this 
one of the, the things I didn't include there, which is that she had said that she was the youngest of five children, you know, justice is a family life issue. Yeah. And I suspect Riney was expecting things to just fall into place. And Ursula was calling him on the carpet saying, no, things don't just fall into place. Right. <laughs> this is only like a month before they're getting married. I know. This is like, right, right. You know, that, that letter, him responding to her letter would unlikely be like, it would be getting back to him, like with very little time to respond. Mm. And yeah. weren't they married in England? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that, oh gosh. I'm imagining Mrs. Niebuhr getting on a plane to go to that. I'm sure she I was. Think not, I think they were taking not a boat. Happy. I think they, they were taking a boat. Oh, it's the thirties. They probably would have taken a boat. Yeah, they were they were talking boats over and over again. So I mean, think about it. He's got he's going to leave a week early, you know. And I mean, I don't know when they got married, but it wasn't that much longer after this. So yeah, things were things were tense right up to the right up to the gate. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Niebuhr has to take this long voyage to go to her son's wedding, and she is not feeling it at all. She has so much time to stew on this um so next letter anything left to say about that one the kind of internal tensions of that uh of that marriage mother dynamic i just wish i knew how it worked out i mean clearly yeah, I they got married but like well from what i understand they had a hard time living with her too um i think that we had a past guest mention something about that living yeah. with the mother yeah <clears throat> Next letter, 112231. Bumping it up a little bit. Mrs. Bruce Bliven, Bliven wrote the other day, uh, reminded me that it was just a year ago that she met me while going to the FPA luncheon with you. That made me think, remembering how distinctly conscious I was of your presence at that luncheon. Ooh, I came to the conclusion that I had really fallen before the holiday season where I officially placed the point of the beginning of my disintegration as a self-sufficient bachelor. <laughs> Very important matter of chronology, don't you think? That's what Jen said. Yes. that is. So this is the moment he fell in love. Again, shortly before he was married, like a couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to remind you of this, even though I know you're really upset about my mother. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is like, this is like him responding to that, that letter that she wrote. I mean, this is yeah. like 20 days later. I was just struck dumb by your presence, Ursula. And you swept me off my feet seeing you at that luncheon. Okay. 11, 25, 31. If people really didn't love one another, and this is from Reinhold to Ursula. If people really didn't love one another, they couldn't stand intimacy for human nature is just peculiar enough to make that impossible without real love. Come on. What do you guys think? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. If people really didn't love one another, they couldn't stand intimacy for human nature is just he should have written a, a love book. Exactly. There you go, Jen. Maybe that's a project. You could you could write a Niburian book on love. God. Yeah, there you go. Romantic love by by Niebuhr. You have a you have a whole slew of collection. I mean, a whole collection of uh, great works to work with. Okay, comedic. <sighs> this is this is clearly the highlight of all these things. Jen, why, why don't you set this up for us? What what are, what are we what are we doing? What what are we getting ourselves into here? 
Uh, yes, this is summer 1933. Riney was traveling through the Berkshires to the hill village of Heath in western Massachusetts. He was pulled over and his license was expired and they arrested him. So he it's a nice Sunday afternoon. Uh, Ursula is at home and it sounds like they only had one vehicle between them and he calls from jail. She was in rough shape. <laughs> Should I just go ahead and start reading this? Yeah. So how about um let's let's do let's do a little bit of a dramatic reading here. So Jen, you read uh, Ursula's parts and Zachy read Reinhold's. In the calm of a Sunday afternoon, the telephone rang. It was Reinhold. Hello, darling, said Ursula. Where are you? In jail in Lee, Massachusetts. How simply marvelous. How did you achieve that? Was this after your meeting? Uh no, I didn't stop for a traffic sign in Linux. And they put you into jail for that? His English wife seems somewhat outraged at such extreme police tactics. Uh, the trouble is they want money. What? They want to be bribed? No. I have to have money to put up bail, and I've only got a couple of dollars, you see. Heavens! Wouldn't they accept the typewriter or some sort of equivalent? No. Can you get a hold of some of our friends and see if anybody could drive down with some money? Yes, I'll try. Don't worry. Meditate, darling. Try all the different disciplines of meditation and contemplation. Try the Ignatian method. Don't don't be silly. Try and get some money quick. <laughs> all right, let's let's break this down. <laughs> Rhino gets pulled over. He has an expired uh, driver's license. Gets tossed into jail. He says they want money, and she thinks he's saying he that uh, they want bribed. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, Oh, he, he asked for uh, Ursula to find somebody to drive up there um, to bail him out. Then uh, light from heaven struck her. The Gardner Days in Williamstown. The Reverend Gardner Day was the rector of St. John's at Williamstown. He was a good friend. And he and his wife, Catherine, had been married a few months after Reinhold and Ursula had been married. They go there. Well, let's see. Delightful possibilities of all sorts flocked to Ursula's mind. Praying to heaven for help, she telephoned the Gardner Days. Blessed be her prayers, for they were at home. The situation appealed to their neighborly altruism and also to the strain of fantasy that Catherine Day particularly possessed, and that was a great bond between her and the neighbors. Ursula returned to the chase lounge in the garden, I mean her favorite Anglican chants. After all, it would be the hour of evening song in the cathedrals she knew so well, and she would be able to rejoice, feeling indeed that the Lord would not leave his own to languish in his own. So they proceeded down Route 7 to Lee, accompanied by two large gray Afghan hounds. Gardner had been able to procure enough money, almost enough for a king's ransom. The neighbors were too tactful to inquire the source of such affluence, but the Lee police accepted it duly as appropriate bail. Gardner Day, wearing his clergyman's collar, entered the police station with his wife and the two dogs. The wife, his wife was tall and striking with a wonderful combination of dramatic appeal and humor. Gardner, one of the most handsome and distinguished of men, was a splendid foil to his wife's presence. They entered the cell. Catherine Day dramatically threw herself on her knees in front of Reinhold, clasped her hands together, and then liturgically exclaimed, let us pray. <laughs> Rising from her knees, she bestowed upon the policeman a copy of a book that Reinhold Niebuhr had published the year before, Moral Man and Immoral Society. <laughs> the police seemed somewhat startled they there were the large gray afghan hounds 
there was this distinguished looking gentleman in his clergyman's collar, and there was this fantastic lady, and all on a late Sunday afternoon. The prisoner was released in the days accompanied by the chase and Reinhold. They took themselves to Route 7 and proceeded up to the further reaches of Western Massachusetts. Anyhow, then later, Ursula says, darling, why on earth didn't you have a clergyman's collar with you and a Bible, obviously open to some important passage? Of course I had a Bible. It was in my suitcase, but you know I never wear a clergyman's collar. <laughs> but didn't you have something else, your traveling communion set or something to show that you were a kosher clergyman? Reinhold dis disdained such obvious perks of the clerical profession. Always thought a little little Jesuitical, Jesu I can't say Cossetry was lacking in your education, Ursula remarked. It's awfully useful, you know, particularly in crisis. In later years, living at Stockbridge, the neighbors sometimes wondered if the Lee police station still possessed that copy of Moral Man and Immoral Society. Oh, gosh. I wonder if they got, they didn't get a mugshot, did they? That would be amazing <laughs> if they had that. But uh, the thing that, that, I mean, the whole thing is hilarious, but when, how condescending Ursula was about... Oh, don't worry. Meditate, darling. Try the different disciplines of meditation and contemplation. Try the Ignatian method. At first, when I read this, I was like, oh, she's actually really trying to help him. No, she's just she's just being smart. They were uh, had some sarcasm between the two of them. They yeah. want to be bribed. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great glimpse into their relationship. Oh, absolutely. Man. All right. Five, nine, thirty six. Um Getting spicy. Get, now we're getting into the spice zone. Spice zone. Spice zone. All right, I'll read this one. I'm really longing for you so very much. This is a truncated life. And half the fun is taken out of everything because we can't do it together. But I honestly believe that you need to have a right to your own vocational work. Sometimes you do uh, beat against the bars, and that ought to teach us both that we must find the greatest amount of happiness together if you can feel yourself a little more independent of me. Am I right to say that I think you uh, go through alternations of wanting to merge your work with mine and then perhaps protesting against that? And that is right and proper. You are too much a person in your own right and have to give of your own to allow you to be just my wife, particularly since I am an egoistic soul. That is why I am anxious about the Sarah Lawrence matter. What's happening? Uh, there was a, hopefully it, it was a job offer or a job that she was seeking. He was encouraging her to find work of her own at that time on top of everything else that she did. Right. So. Well, they, they largely saw themselves as kind of a unit. The public mm -hmm. didn't see them that way, but it, but but they certainly saw themselves as her work was right up next against his work, and they uh, intertwined and merged. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the, the, so there's been a, a lot of uh, discussion about, like, how much of Richard is in Reinhold's work, but I wish we had more to go on with how much of Ursula's work is in Reinhold's work. Exactly. Well, any thoughts, Zach? I think one of the things that I like about Niebuhr as we go through various works and stuff is that he really seemed like a, be like a decent person. You know what I mean? In the sense that like, as much as he calls himself an, an, an egotistic person or something like that, I mean, he really, <laughs> he really had concern for whether his wife was feeling satisfied in her career and stuff. Right. And he's, a, he's aware of it, 
right? He's aware that he has a, an egoist streak in, about him, and that actually makes him uh, quite the opposite of an egoist. Well, mm -hmm. they, they, it seems like they kind of saw his career as like their catalyst for success, and so they kind of like were both down to be like, "Hey, like let's let's make this be successful, so that we can." It works. It helps with both, but at the same time, he recognized that you know he didn't want it to envelop her. And that's pretty, you know, for the time, I, I feel like that's a pretty unusual thing. You know what I mean? I don't know yeah. that. I mean, I don't know that I wasn't in the 1930s, but I don't think that men were thinking a whole lot about what their wives' careers and their ambitions. And absolutely. You know, I mean, I don't want to interpret back on history, but I, I don't think. Yeah. I well, yeah, I look back at this time and I think Mad Men. Well, I guess Mad Men would be a little bit later, but uh, but I mean, it's, I mean, it would probably be even worse than Matt, the show Mad Men. But um yeah, that that kind of partnership outlook on things. Oh, you got to ask, like, where does that come from for Niebuhr? Like, where what, was his father and mother? Did they have that kind of relationship? Seems like the, no. the mom, the mom was very her own person. So it, it seems like that that might have something to do with it. He saw their mom and dad work together, maybe more as, well, as, as certainly saw things in a more egalitarian uh, mindset than most people. Um, yeah. All right. So this is uh, this next one is 1939 memoir. Um, the at the Edinburgh uh, Gifford Lectures is where he wrote Nature and Destiny, the the kind of um, beginning of Nature and Destiny, or not the beginning of it. It was like the the opening kind of manuscripts that became Nature and Destiny. Um, and it was at the outbreak of the war. Um, Jen, you want to say anything about this? Well, I think this one is another great example of Ursula's humor. Should I just read this? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Another occasion I remember vividly, the reigning dowagers of Edinburgh, the ladies of the law lords, were at some function which we had been bidden to come, and one of them was being kind in a somewhat condescending way to me, whom they assumed was a small town American in Edinburgh for the first time. Reinhold perhaps gave people this impression as he often introduced himself as a small town hick from the Middle West. So... She says to Ursula, I suppose this is the first time you've been in Edinburgh, Miss ne Mrs. Niebuhr, said this kind dowager to me. Oh, no, I replied. I've been in Edinburgh several times before. Oh, really? Where did you stay? In the castle, of course. When I was able to evade this kind lady, Reinhold, who had overheard this exchange, said to me with a delighted grin, you damn snob. <laughs> replied, darling, <laughs> it is they who are the damn snobs. <laughs> Oh, that's great. She's feisty. Mm -hmm. She has a, a very uh, keen sense of the social, uh, the social dynamics and mm -hmm. uh, how people are trying to put her in her place and stuff. And she's always got the, the trump card, I guess, to to land. That's that's good. That's a solid one. You really get a, a feel of their sarcasm. You damn snob. <laughs> you include in the next one in the 51343, just reading through his itinerary. The guy was busier than I, I. This dude is just like constantly like meeting people and constantly like got some new thing going on, but yet he just kind of wants to be home. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like he's just kind of like, uh, yeah, I did this and I did this and this. I'd really kind of rather be at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we always hear stories about him uh, taking a suitcase to class because he's got a catch a plane or train afterwards and he's doing uh he's writing you know uh, chapters on on the subway and he's just always on the go well and he was very uh 
it was very interesting to think about because we're, you know, doing this pod about uh, Ursula and Reinhold to think about, you know, looking at that itinerary and thinking about just how much time they spent apart as a married couple. Like, it's very interesting because I know that married couples still spend lots of time apart nowadays, but like, it was just kind of like, yeah, I got I'm going to be gone for like two months. See ya. You know what I mean? Like he, he had to, he had, that was just part of the deal. And it's like, that's like pretty like straining on a relationship. You know what I mean? Especially uh, the, you know, the, the season that they were in there in 1943, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, I'm going to go to a, a country that's being bombed on the regular. Um, right. Talk to you later. I'll see you in two months. Hopefully these go well. It well, just... it's almost like they had to have that kind of partnership view of things or their marriage wouldn't have sustained itself. Like they, they had to view themselves as kind of independent of one another to a degree. Well, we, we've, we, you know, we always kind of wonder on the pod, like, why do all these, you know, great theologians of this era end up having these really terrible marriages where they like cheat on their wives and all this other stuff. And it's like, man, I'm not saying that's an excuse and all, but I'm, I'm saying, dude, they, they were kind of setting themselves up for failure a little bit here with, uh, mm. you know, because I'm sure that these other guys like them were traveling like this, where they were going out and be gone for extended periods of time. And it's just different. Like, it's, it's not like you can just hop on a plane and fly back. It was like, hey, uh, it's five days to get home. And you're going to be on a stinking boat and who knows what the weather's going to be like, you know? Yeah. And meanwhile, he's carrying around this portable typewriter and, you know, sitting in these spaces on a boat, just typing his letters to Ursula. Where is this typewriter now? We have we have to get in contact with the Niebuhr estate people because there has to be enough stuff to make a museum or something like that. Uh, put it up in Stockbridge, Massachusetts or something. Maybe that's oh, maybe that could be a neat little project for us. Okay, cool. So yeah, the itinerary is definitely worthy of note here. And okay, now we're hopping all the way to uh, to 1946, um, from 1943 to 1946. Hope to write the old boy, Christopher, a birthday letter over the weekend. Give my love to Howard and Louise and the old boy and the old girly, Christopher and Elizabeth. I say again, God bless you. Kind of sounds country here. I say again, God bless you. And am surprised that this uh, blessing should arouse so much speculation and theology, but it is my faith. Anyway, I live by faith and memory and anticipation. Yours, RN. Tying in his theology to his uh, his affections for his family. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah, there's a lot of lovely letters, uh, like when Ursula was on bed rest and he had uh, taken Christopher away and you know was just writing her letters about what christopher was doing and how he felt bad that he couldn't be there with her but it, it was just really so that you know she just had a safe pregnancy with elizabeth but the letters are just so cute like he, he'd be working on a book and then christopher would come in de and demand that he come out and see the turtles or you know do something with you know a game that he had going on and then he would do that and then go back in and go back to working on his book and and it just the letters were really endearing and he always refers to christopher as the old boy and elizabeth as the old girly so check out that sign off i my that's where my mind went um he created a he created something of a dialectic in the sign-off by saying, I live by faith, which is kind of the moment. I live by faith and memory and anticipation. So like where I am in this uh, crux between memory and anticipation, and that's faith. Love it. I mean, you could break the, that down and make a book out of it or a good sermon. It's definitely, uh, definitely interesting. They were definitely an intellectual couple. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, a year later, uh, 3647, these lonely hotel rooms are a trial, Niebuhr says. I keep on wanting to, to talk things over with you, and I don't want to sleep alone. I won't make a trip like this again for a very, very long time. All my love, RN. He's getting restless well, on the road. You could even add in the next one because it's it's the same. It's like a couple days later. Yeah, a couple days later. Oh, gosh, he's really going through it on this road trip. Here I am through the sixth week with only five to go. This will be the last long separation. I long for you when we're separated. RN. <laughs> Niebuhr, Niebuhr loved Ursula, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. My goodness. And now we have a whole bunch of like um uh like a collection of uh, uh Jen went through kind of all the letters and just wrote down like the signatures at the end of each the farewells at the end of each uh, letter. And so we have to go through this in rapid fire, I think. And some of them we might need to spend a little bit more time on. <laughs> so the first one is one of my favorites. He signs off as your devoted old man <laughs> by the way how like what how many years were between them 16 16 oh, wow. okay. 23 and 39 when they married beautiful 16 years uh so you're devoted old man yours forever Riney. yours in bond okay wait we gotta rewind we gotta rewind i'm pu i'm putting something over top of this there's gonna be harps. There's gonna be Cupid arrows. There's going to, I don't know. There's gonna be maybe some smooches here and there. I don't know. May I kiss you, my darling? I, okay, you're devoted. Okay, starting over. You're devoted, old man. Yours forever, Riney. Yours in bondage, <laughs> Riney. <laughs> Yours in eternal love, Riney. Yours in impatience. Riney, yours, yours devotedly, are yours ever and always, Riney, yours impatiently, RN. And you make a note, looks like a nickname that Ursula redacted, followed by several that were also redacted. Ooh, 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 that's spicy. Mm -hmm. They had pet names that she didn't want out there. Yeah. Put out quite a bit. So it's pretty surprising that she uh, says exactly. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one can only imagine. It's just uh, oof. Okay, yours altogether, RN. Yours devotedly, RN. Yours ever. Another redaction. <laughs> yours ever are devotedly are yours an eternal love, Reinhold. And Jen makes a note, pardon me while I fan myself. <laughs> Yours forever, Reinhold. Yours forever, Reinhold. Yours forever, utterly and entirely, Ursula. Ooh, get it, Ursula, she says. Get it. <laughs> Yours forever, utterly and entirely. Yours always, RN. I think we're all blushing now. Yours always, RN. With all devotion, Reinhold. Yours devotedly, Reinhold. Yours in true devotion, love, and gratitude. That was a big swing there. Reinhold, 
With all love and devotion, Reinhold, yours in complete love, Reinhold, yours with a few imaginary embraces, as the newspapers say. Reinhold, what is that a reference to, I wonder? Could you find anything on that? No. no. I, I, I think he was alluding to what he, you know. <laughs> Yeah, we gotta. Man. I need a drink after this. All right. This is, they uh, clearly, they clearly were interesting. Those were all from 1931, so that's just the beginning of things. Uh, yeah. They were clearly very in love. It's a beautiful thing. My goodness. All right, now. Perfect Valentine's Day reflection. Last thing to cover. This is a this is my special Valentine's Day question for you all. I hope you got something prepared for this. Oh yeah. There definitely are harps playing in the background now. We don't know, you guys. Zach, Jen, we don't know what that first conversation was like between Reinhold and Ursula. But oh to be a fly on the wall of that conversation. So what I am going to have us do is I want each of us to come to come up with a pickup line only Reinhold Niebuhr would have used on Ursula. <laughs> what do you got, Zach? Well, I thought I'd go with a fitting one, you know, incorporate one of those book titles, right? Uh, okay. Niebuhr walks up to Ursula and he says, uh, if the destiny if the destiny of man is to seek understanding and purpose, oh my gosh, then my destiny found its path the moment I envisioned our shared journey towards love and wisdom. <laughs> that is really that's good. That's good. <laughs> I could see him doing that one. All right, Jen, you got one? Oh, okay. So, Ursula. I, I hear that you have to write a master's and Bonhoeffer doesn't. That's just really terrible. Would you like some help? Uh, that's it. That's, yep, there it is. Boom. Maybe that's how they got together. Okay, I went I went with the, the true blue cheese. Like, it, it, this is all cheesy, man. Um, uh, Zach, do you have any more? Or, or Jen? No, that's it, man. It's all, all right. right. I, have, I have a few I'm going to pop off at you. Excuse me, miss. Uh, do you have any serenity on you? <laughs> because I'm gonna, because I'm gonna need some. Because I can't change these feelings I have for you. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and I, I did a, a couple like plays on the serenity prayer. I have another one. The next one is. Excuse me, miss. I'm going to need a whole lot of wisdom because I can't tell the difference between your heart and mine. Dang, dude. You're really, you're really going after that serenity. Ooh. Next one. Hopping off serenity prayer. You know, Ursi, I once said, it's always wise to seek the truth in our opponent's error and the error in our truth. But right now, all I'm seeking is the number to your phone. And the key to my heart. <laughs> and lastly, Ursi, 
My capacity for love makes this relationship possible, but my capacity for heartbreak makes this relationship necessary. Boom! Hey, dude, hold on, I'll stop. <laughs> I, oh I don't think God. Ursula would have taken to being called Ursi. Oh, really? Okay, my bad, yeah. Urs. Yeah. Ursula. Was it full Ursula? Is that what they called? Okay. Ursula, yeah. So she would he would have gotten the door slam there. Yeah. Miss Dren Trailer, thank you so much for being on with us. It was a great pleasure. We should do it again sometime. I would love that. All right. Well, that about does it for this episode of the Love Thy Neighbor podcast. I want to thank again our special guest, Jen Trailer, for coming on. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Make sure you like and subscribe. Write us a good review if you're enjoying it. That stuff might seem worthless, but it actually really helps the show. And follow us on Twitter at Love Thy Neighbor for news and updates. Until next time, take care, everybody, and stay safe. Everybody.